In an age of turmoil, can free idiots discussing movies change the world? No! Podcast! On Infinite Earths. I got some dodgy parcels in my post, but I exploded them, so I'm, I'm alright. <laughs> I beg your pardon. <laughs> are, are you going to elaborate on that, or is that? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Just got some dodgy parcels, and that's that. Yeah. Okay. Nice to get mail, isn't it? Yeah. To, to Thomas Reese Esquire, I was like, "Oh, hello." Do <laughs> <laughs> you? What about you, Tom Prime? What have you been doing recently? <laughs> uh, because I'm massively big-headed, I really like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, nothing. I've I've been cleaning the house, and I fell into that pattern where you know when you you've cleaned a room, and then you think I've got to go back into that room to get something. And you think, well, what's the fucking point of me cleaning it? <laughs> I, cleaned, I cleaned the kitchen and then went in and made lunch. <laughs> I cleaned the bathroom, then I went in and had a shower and a shit. In Charming. <laughs> yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd shit first, wouldn't you? You're a monster. <laughs> no, because if you shit first, then you've got to you've got to go in the shower with that shit. <laughs> exactly. It's. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but then yourself. Yeah, if you shower and then you're dirty again straight away. <laughs> yeah, whereas if you... I mean, I don't know about you, Tom. I wipe. <laughs> no, right. I do. It, I, I do it the European way. <laughs> you just hose yourself down. <laughs> oh, but I don't know about you, but if I'm wet from a shower, that area stays wet the longest. <laughs> 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 oh, that's gross. <laughs> I'm a hairy boy. I'm a hairy. <laughs> oh, this is... You are preaching to the choir. Charming. <laughs> exactly what you should do it the other way around, because no one wants to do that wet. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the sort of stuff you learn on this podcast, guys. Yep. These sort of life skills. That's what we're all about. Because otherwise the toilet paper just disintegrates immediately. I mean, oh. I mean, Tom, I don't know in what world you think that I'm not drying off before I go for a shit. <laughs> but you know, right, it's, how, it's the trickiest area to drive in, because unless you literally just floss in your, your danger zone. <laughs> danger zone. That's <laughs> new. <laughs> this, um... This is all staying in the podcast, by the way. <laughs> Tom admitting that he's got many poo stripes on his towels. <laughs> so, I bought a brown one. It's fine. <laughs> oh, dear. I think we should make a start before this goes. <laughs> I mean, it quite literally already is in the toilet, this podcast, so... Russian from from me saying I've cleaned the house today. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. 
Right. Well, let's make a start before this gets any more uh, disgusting. Um... So, welcome everyone. <laughs> if you've if you've if you've stayed around beyond the first three minutes, um, welcome to uh, another bonus episode of podcast on Infinite Earths. Um, normally. Yeah, woo. Um, normally we would uh, discuss a classic film from pop culture um, or Alien vs. Predator. Um, but, today, <laughs> but today we are going to vigorously debate what is... <laughs> what, <On that>. is <laughs> what is the best movie franchise of all time and by the end of this show we will have settled on nothing uh, but <laughs> before we get started um, introductions are in order so I'm Lewis I'm Tom I'm also Tom two Toms for the price of none there you go uh, um, so we'll um, we'll get into the into the meat the raw meat of the episode uh, shortly. Um, <laughs> but I thought um, we would we would just start with um, our normal routine of discussing some geek news, because there is some big, big geek news this week, guys. Um, after many, many years of campaigning and toxic fandom, death threats towards Joss Whedon, the nerds are finally getting their way. The Snyder the Cut. <laughs> the butthole cut is coming for cats, guys. It's coming. <laughs> um, I really want to see a butthole cut of um, Justice League. <laughs> um, two minutes and we're right back to anuses already. That's that's impressive. That is that is impressive. Um, it's what I want. <laughs> Um, the Snyder Cut, however, is also happening in 2021. Um, Zack Snyder is is finally getting to release his version of Justice League um, as announced on. Well, yeah, I mean this is. It doesn't exist. Well, <laughs> apparently it does. Apparently it does exist. Well, um, no, it doesn't because he's he's having to film it with the original cast. <laughs> Well, they're not doing any new filming. They're doing some voiceover work from apparently, um, and then I, I suspect there's just going to be heavy, heavy CGI going on. Uh, I've got a beautiful uh, image of like it's just overdubbing Joss Whedon's dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> I've got this image that it's just going to be the original Justice League, and then there's going to be several hours of just voiceover at the end, just tagged on at the end. And this was going to happen, and this, and this. Just Zack Snyder just ranting for two and a half hours at the end. In sepia. Well, apparently, um, it could be up to four hours long. Um, <laughs> there's there's no, no word yet if they're going to release it in sort of a mini-series format on H... Because it's going to be on HBO Max. It might, they might do it, apparently, in like a mini-series format. Or it might just be like a, a, a two-part film, or it's one long four-hour marathon, um, which that'd be a bit of a slog, wouldn't it? 
I've seen Gandhi. It's, it's, <laughs> I haven't. Gonna or, be... or Ben Hur. <laughs> <laughs> well, is, is it going to be shit? <laughs> it, it might be. It might be. But I suppose at the very least, I, I think the way I look at it, I'm, I, in the, on the one hand, I'm kind of annoyed that all these horrible fans have been vindicated because I mean, people have said death threats to Warner Brothers and, and Joss Whedon and all sorts and I know that's not all of them but you kind of just get that worry that if a, a vocal minority these sort of toxic fans can get their way where does it end? Like, are we going to get the um, Colin Trevorrow cut of Star Wars Episode 9 now? You know, is that going to be be the next thing? Because he had a whole a whole script made and then he got sacked by Disney for, for reasons unknown um, so yeah, on the one hand it, it bothers me that they're sort of vindicated but on the other hand um, oh shut up yeah <laughs> we can finally put to rest which is the least worst version of Justice League um, and at least you know all the actors were on board with this and I, I kind of get it from their point of view that they they want the original vision to be shown and I don't mind that argument you know Zach kind of just wants his his vision to be realized if it's good or bad at least it's his story that gets to be told in the end because from all accounts yeah air quotations but from all accounts that half the film is is completely different um so it, it it might it might be good I'm, I'm i'm very very curious to see it at the very least i don't know about you guys i think Zack snyder should do what i did as a kid when my mum asked me to do the ironing and just do a terrible job so I'm never asked again to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I feel like if, if he does this really terribly, no one is ever going to ask him for it again. What happens if it's really good, though? Where, where, what happens to the, the Justice League franchise? Because what happens if it's absolutely amazing um, and then there's suddenly a huge outpouring for a sequel do you think they can get Ben Affleck back? Do you think they can get Henry Cavill back? Or is it just going to be a one-and-done sort of thing? I think whatever they think will make them money. Well, this is it. I mean, you know, I've seen people saying, oh, credit to HBO Max. You know, even Zack Snyder said, you know, oh, thank you to Warner Brothers for, you know, supporting the artistic vision. But really, just like money, 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 money. <laughs> because it's all just a big scam to get HBO Max subscribers. Because now I am going to subscribe to HBO Max to see this. Yeah, it's like the, the Mandalorian of HBO Max. It's... Yeah. Bring the geeks in, reel them in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it will, you know. It, People weren't talking about HBO Max until now, really. Yeah, it's a weird place to show it. Like, you know, you, you think of like Amazon Prime usually has all the like DC films and all the DC animation. You just think, why Why have they gone for HBO Max? Like, what Warner Brothers um, own, I think, HBO, or there's some partnership there with Warner Brothers and HBO, because um, HBO Max are also going to be producing some more Greg Berlanti DC shows like um, uh, Green Lantern and something. I, I think the Justice League Dark that we touched on as well, HBO Max are doing that as well for J.J. Abrams. So they, I, I, I'm not sure how it quite works, because I think Time Warner own... HBO Max and Warner Brothers and uh, this uh, it's very very confusing but either way the Snyder Cut is coming 
whether you want it or not. It's going to be owned by Disney. <laughs> Eventually, yes. <laughs> it, Just unless, like this podcast. Unless it is amazingly different. I don't even know if I'm going to see it. Well, rumours are it is, you know, apparently at the end of the Zack Snyder's Justice League, either Aquaman or Batman was supposed to die. Um, Wonder Woman was meant to impale Steppenwolf and Darkseid then came and boom-tubed Steppenwolf away. And then they all saw Darkseid on Apocalypse and that was how that film ended. And then part two was meant to be the invasion of Earth by Darkseid, which sounds pretty fucking metal, I've got to say. That's cool, but like they've also said they're not doing any other filming. Mm-mm. <laughs> but, <laughs> but apparently, from people that worked on Zack, Zack Snyder's original, they did film a lot of this. Um, a lot of it didn't get finished in post-production, but I'm guessing that's what they're going to be doing between now and 2021 when it comes out, is polishing off the CGI, the scenes that were never finished, the storyboards that were never finished. I'm still not convinced we're going to get a fully cohesive movie, um, but Cyborg had a whole thing that was cut out, apparently. Um, there was a lot more um, for, for Ben Affleck's Batman to do. Um, but I, I, either, I'm just kind of glad we're going to see a, a film just made by one person, because Justice League as it is, is a bit like Frankenstein's monster. You can see the seams on it, and it's yeah. hideous. <laughs> So at the very least, it's it's just one vision as opposed to a, a, an amalgamation. Because you can see the moments that Joss Whedon's films, it's like they've just turned the lights on as well. Yeah. And there's actually, like, dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm quite happy that they're not filming any more scenes because can you imagine them wheeling Ben Affleck into into this film? Like, <laughs> chain smoking <laughs> <laughs> he is one miserable motherfucker, that guy. Like, he is. He, he would not want to be in any of this. Like, and you could, you'd be able to tell from his performance, wouldn't you? You could. It's like the, um, <laughs> yeah, like the sad Affleck memes when it, when he was sat with Henry Cavill after the um, Batman v Superman reviews started coming out, and it's just um, it zooms in on him with the. Uh, Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> He's staring into the abyss. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, big news either way. Um, and I guess we can finally put the debate to rest next year as to which one is is better or worse. Um, one other bit of uh, bad news. Um, Ruby Rose has quit the CW Batwoman after just one season. Um I mean, do you guys seen any of, of Batwoman? No, I've heard I've heard good things about it, but no, I've not seen any. You, you, seen have, you have been lied to, other... Tom. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I've seen her in like Flash and Arrow, but yeah, I've not seen her on her own. It's it's not a bad show. It's um it's probably the weakest of the Balantiverse shows. Um, it's it's okay, uh, but initially there was no word on why she quit the role. But it, it's it's sort of dripped out since um, that it was the schedule and working hours that were too much for her. <laughs> Isn't that a I'm shame? Sorry, but if you're playing Batwoman, you should be used to working at night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, apparently the um, I think from what you know the internet saying is you know she's 
very much been a, a supporting player in films and TV shows. She's never been the lead in anything. And as the show is called Batwoman, being the titular character, she is in more or less every single scene. Um, so I think there were sort of 12, 14 hour days. And I mean, I don't know. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Oh, sorry you're getting paid thousands upon thousands of dollars to do a dream job. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, you're like... Your you diamond shoes hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, you've got no sympathy, do you? Because it's, it is, it's your dream job. You get to play make-believe for a living. But on the other hand, she, she didn't complain about it. She just said it's not for me and she's left. So it's like, well, you know, you, good for her, I guess, you know, for, for stepping away if it wasn't right for her. It might mean the show can can grow a little bit um i did like however that uh stephanie beatrice of course from brooklyn 99 tweeted the day after um asterix reads everything there is to know about batwoman immediately and i was <laughs> like yes yes please i will take stephanie beatrice as as batwoman um the the corpse of ruby rose's batwoman was not even cold by the time she said <laughs> It's a cutthroat business. Uh, while we're on Stephanie Beatrice, I think, was it last week we mentioned Hercules? The live yeah. Action yeah. I think she'd be great as Meg. Oh, she would be. Yeah. As soon as you said that, I thought, yeah, Meg. That's a that's a good shout. That's a very oh, good shout. Lou from now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a film I'd watch. Release the Ferrigno cuts. Right, that's that's all the news I wanted to discuss. Have you guys got any news before we take a little break and get into the, the, the main part of the show? No. That's no. the bed. Don't all talk about this, guys. <laughs> well, let's take a little break and we'll come back and we'll start the great debate of 2020. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, let's um let's crack on. So today for this very special bonus episode in quarantine, we are debating what is the best movie franchise of all time. Now, I'm not going to reveal what we've all picked just yet cuz I thought first what we'd do is touch on a few franchises that we haven't picked, just give them a little honourable mention, because there's there's a lot of movie franchises, because we are in the golden age of the cinematic universe now, particularly. Everybody wants to do an extended universe. Um, Marvel certainly paved the way for that. Um, DC, I've tried. Um, then you get Universal trying to do it with their classic monsters. Uh, Fast and Furious are starting to branch out with like Hobbs and Shaw. Um but I know there's one franchise we haven't picked, which I think we should probably just mention from the, the start, which is Star Wars. Because um, I very nearly picked this um, because it's it's sort of the, a film that really defined fandom in a way um, for better or worse. Um, but just out of interest, what, what, what was your guys' first introduction to, to the Star Wars franchise? Uh, I think I had the original trilogy on VHS before, like pre Phantom Menace. Mm. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't like the the original original cut. It was the uh, slightly vamped up one. 
It was yeah. like that, you know, that weird alien in uh, Jabba's palace that comes up to the skin and goes, ah! Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love them. I couldn't yeah. get enough. Mine was um, Phantom Menace. Yeah. It was my very first Star Wars introduction. Um, for, oddly enough, my grandma loved that film. Like, <laughs> she's ne- no... No prior knowledge of her ever being interested in sci-fi. But for whatever reason, Phantom Menace is still one of her favourite films. I love that. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> what are you eating, Tom? Little, little tortellini. Oh, you're so, so fancy. Um, <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned about um, VHS, though, because I think that's why Star Wars became the phenomenon it was, was because... Star Wars and, and, and Empire particularly were sort of the first films to get huge mainstream VHS releases. So all those people that watched them in the cinema suddenly had access to this film to watch it over and over and over again. And I think that's why people became so um, almost possessive over the franchise because it very much felt like it was theirs when they were growing up uh, mm. because they had it in their home before they had a lot of other major films um, but but for me, yeah, Phantom Menace was my first Star Wars film. Um, I I didn't see the original trilogy until I'd seen the um, episodes one and two, and then I I think I went back and, and watched the first three. And because I was quite young, I found it quite jarring seeing the oh yeah the, yeah the drop off in quality of CGI. And and this was after they they'd enhanced some of it as well. But just. Um, a younger me didn't like how polished it looked, but as I've got older. I really appreciate the more tactile nature of the original trilogy because everything's practical almost. And there's just something a bit more aesthetically pleasing about that um, as opposed to people like Jar Jar Binks that look like um, rubber. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the least of Jar Jar Binks' problems. Uh, but I did always find it. They were annoying. Brian Blessed played the... Um... Uh, head Gungan. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, he did, didn't oh, he? What's that? Ah, uh, there we go. Nice deep cut pull. Nice. <laughs> um, but but Star Wars is a, is a, is a franchise that certainly endured, obviously. And and it, the only reason I didn't pick it was because it felt like an obvious pick. And I just think again, the only reason I didn't pick it as well was in terms of the movies. I think there's franchises that have more consistent films that are of a better quality. I think really anything after Empire is diminishing returns, frankly. Um, as, a, as a kid, I loved Return of the Jedi. Ewoks. Ewoks, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the thing for me is Star Wars is, is a film, is a franchise that is made up of just excellent moments. For goodness sake, eat your tortellini. <laughs> <laughs> Um, You're eating it like a raising cow. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's a franchise that's made up of moments. I, um, you know, I, when I think of Star Wars, I just think of moments like the opening shot of A New Hope, or you know, the "I am your father" moment, or it's the duel of the fates in Phantom Menace. Yeah, yeah and, and and the music, and then you've got like the clones arriving, attack of the clones, or Anakin versus Obi Wan in Revenge of the Sith. Or even like the Last Jedi, that moment when um, Admiral Holdo does that light speed maneuver into Snoke's Big. ship—that is 
one of the best things I've seen in cinema. But as cohesive films that are good, not all of them are. <laughs> no. I, I will tell you something. Steph absolutely hates those films. <laughs> and she hates them even more now because, well, we've got nothing else to do. So we've been doing jigsaws at home. You know, my, my life is a mile a fucking minute. Um, <laughs> well, we've got this giant Star Wars um, jigsaw and <laughs> I get bored very easily. So every time we got a piece right, I used to just go, good. <laughs> <laughs> and it got, it got old very quickly. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Um but I mean, you know, it's a it's a franchise that has um, it, it, there's no medium left untouched by Star Wars books, comic books, video games, action figures, TV, movies, music, everything. Star Wars has permeated pop culture for for it, it, forty years uh, this week since Empire got released, um, which is crazy, really. Um, it's yeah, it's it's uh, just a part of. Um, Every, you know everyone's life basically and it's showing no signs of, of of stopping obviously we mentioned last time Taika Waititi's doing a film you've got Ryan Johnson doing a trilogy um you know we've just had uh whatever you know, Rise of Skywalker which again I don't like <laughs> I don't think I've not been particularly excited about the Star Wars franchise probably since like Rogue One hmm but I'm, I feel I'm a most like, intrigued to see where it's going now that I've had been for a while. Yes. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think that's something a good franchise does, is it makes you excited for the future of that franchise. Because I think when when The Force Awakens got announced, which we went to see in the cinema together, I just remembered, mm-hmm. um, I was really excited. And Force Awakens, for me, is, is, is a great film. It was, ju- it was pure nostalgia. And it was a new hope, just with you know a, a, a makeover. Yeah. Um, the problem with the, the two after that is they didn't tell us anything new. They didn't tell us a new story. It was like watching the original trilogy again. Um, Ryan Johnson tried to branch out and no one liked people doing something different with Star Wars. So they just made Return of the Jedi again. Um, but I, I like that they can now leave behind the Skywalker saga and just explore the universe. Because some of the extended universe stuff is great. Like Clone Wars is fantastic. Mandalorian... Uh, I'm not the biggest fan, but it's getting better. And season two sounds like it's going to be great with, you know, Ahsoka and, and Boba Fett and Timothy Oliphant being cast as, as, so, as somebody as well. The uh, the Oliphant. Looking forward to seeing what he does. Um, but like you said, it's it, it's it's interesting to see where, where they go with it in the next in the next decade or the next 40 years. Who, who knows? They will keep making them forever. Absolutely. I'm okay with that, though. Yeah. Like people, people are ragging on the most recent um, trilogy of films, but it's not going to stop you from watching them again. Like no, no, and you know that's it. You know, there's there's flaws with them, but I will. They're, they're very watchable. They're very enjoyable films. I just think they never quite fulfil their expectations. Um, it's, you compare it to something like Harry Potter that starts. It, it's got one one voice throughout. Each film sort of builds on the previous film. It gets darker and more more detailed. It, it gets deeper, more complicated. So 
So, Tom fucking eat this tortellini's. Oh my god! Um, so you know, it's like the way um, the philosopher's stone is about these eleven-year-olds, and it's for kids. And then when you get to the Deathly Hallows, it's about these eighteen-year-olds, and it's for adults. That film, the franchise grows and evolves. Whereas I don't think Star Wars Beyond Empire and Jedi ever really evolves and grows it 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 makes diversions and 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 does add to the mythology but i just think it's it's uh i think the potential of it is never quite fulfilled for me um is 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 there any other franchises you guys want to want to give a shout out to before we discuss our picks uh i do want to but i can't remember what tom picked because i thought he was doing star wars no, he he's no, no, he's not. No, it, it's my mine. It will come as a surprise to anyone. Is a creature feature series? Okay, Evan. <laughs> In that case, it's just MCU. I think it's the yeah, absolutely the big obvious choice, which we all could have gone for and argued well for and stuff. I'll, I'll tell you the reason I didn't pick the MCU, and it's just for the only reason is that it's only been around for 10 years, which I, I say only, that's that's still in, in impressive, but I just think that I think the franchise we've all picked have endured for decades. Yeah. Um, but the MCU itself, it, it's 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 created a whole new genre of cinema, basically. Yeah, we wouldn't we wouldn't have argued about it. We wouldn't have to support it because we all agree. Uh, Agree that it is the pretty decent films, to be honest. Yeah, even the shit, <laughs> which there are a few, but you know that's true of any franchise, I think. Uh, but like you said, even the the, the shit ones are um, watchable. They, you know, they're all. It's like the MCU is very much a brand in that you you know what you're getting with every MCU film. Um, which it, it might be a good thing, it might be a bad thing in some respects, because there's not very many surprises. But I think now that they've left behind the Infinity Saga, again, like you said with Star Wars, Tom, it's exciting to see where they go with it now, because yeah. they've offloaded Iron Man and, and Captain America, Black Widow. A lot of these characters that have been around the whole time are now out of the picture. And we're getting some really deep-cut things like the Eternals, which I, I know nothing about. Um yeah. I'm excited for it. Great yeah. cast. It, yeah, very impressive cast. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's uh, it was probably too too obvious a choice, and we don't do the obvious on this podcast. <laughs> no. <laughs> All righty. Well, we've given a shout out to a few big ones there. There's dozens and dozens that we could mention, like uh, even like the Alien franchise. We 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 could get yeah. into, but I feel That'd like we'll. Alien, but then I thought, you know what? I fought for Alien enough with the. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's um, let's find out what the best movie franchise of all time is. Let's settle it once and for all, guys. <laughs> um, Prime Tom. Would you care to tell us what you have decided is the best movie franchise, in your opinion, of all time? And justify your actions, please. <laughs> this was the worst time to put a walnut in my mouth. <laughs> 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 all right, guys, I've got nuts in my mouth. 
Not for the first um, time. Oh, I'm going back for more. Um, <laughs> uh, my my choice, Lewis. I'm glad you asked. Um, <laughs> now, I feel like I need to put a little bit of a, a footnote to this and say, I didn't pick it because I think it's the best franchise ever. Okay. I picked it because I really enjoy it. Fine, you know, fine, that's that's fine. You know, as I'm, I'm going to conduct this the same way I conduct all of the podcasts and not give a shit what people think about it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, best way to you agree or disagree doesn't matter. Welcome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I picked Planet of the Apes. Wow, I'm so shocked by that. I didn't know that at all. Wow. <laughs> well, Tom didn't. I didn't write a letter. Now, like I said, it, it might not come as a surprise to people who have listened to the podcast before. And if you haven't oh. listened to the other episodes, why have all you started six on of them. <laughs> all, all six fans. <laughs> um, that I, I really enjoy, I keep saying it, a creature feature. I don't know what it is about them. I just enjoy watching them. I enjoy watching animals, monsters, anything like that. Um, Planet of the Apes, it's been around forever, or it feels like it. Mm. Um, it's that one house guest that you really want to leave, but they just carry <laughs> on staying. <laughs> um, Doesn't sound like a compliment, does it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is not. Um, I, I really enjoy it. I enjoy watching the films. I would watch them constantly and just have them on in the background and not have to pay attention. Mm. But that doesn't mean that I don't want them to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I so, do. <laughs> so when did you um, first become acquainted with the Planet of the Apes franchise? Yeah, which one was your introduction? Um, now, this is going to be weird. It wasn't Planet of the Apes that introduced me to it. There was... Was it, was it The Simpsons? I was just about to say, is it, is it Troy McClure <laughs> and The Simpsons? You're playing the part of the human. It's the part I was made to play. No, that is a. That, I mean, that is a banging episode. But no, I, the Twilight Zone. Oh, Ooh. wow! So there was a really, really old episode of the Twilight Zone because they're all remember, really old episodes. <laughs> there's a new series now, isn't there? With um, yeah, is Jordan, Jordan Peele. Yeah, Jordan Peele's doing a new one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I did research it actually to make sure I wasn't completely bullshitting myself. Drop some knowledge on us, Tom. So, The Twilight Zone did an episode um, which was called I Shot an Arrow Into the Air. And basically, the episode is the this couple um, tired of what's going on in the world um, basically shoot themselves into space, land on a, a, a different planet, um, <laughs> And then find out that it is Earth all along, which apparently sounds prompted... familiar. <laughs> <laughs> it's a guy called Rod Rod Serling wrote that episode, 
and then transplanted it into the Planet of the Apes, the first film. So that whole idea of someone going into space, landing on a distant planet, and then finding out it's Earth, spoilers, um, came from that Twilight Zone episode he wrote. Um, well, it was, a, it was a book first, wasn't it? A French book? Yeah. You want to go outside? Oh, my God. Sorry. <laughs> It's my um, yeah. going haywire. It was a book before by a, a French guy. And I don't, I don't know how much I believe it. <laughs> That's the sort of um, level this, this debate's going to get to, by the way, everyone. It's, it's just going to be vague nationalities of people that we don't quite know. <laughs> well, do you know Do you know? I said to you that I've written notes and just put enough said and then not explained anything? Yes. But I've not written down the name of the guy who wrote it, but I've written down La Planet des Sings, which is the... Yeah, the, so it was... Um, Planet of a Monkey. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Pierre... Um, oh, fuck's sake, what's his last name? Pierre somebody wrote the um, the original book. Um, I was going to say... It's, yeah, it's, he wrote in six months. It took him six months to write it. And oh God, he was it. observing... Um, apes in the zoo and that's what gave him the idea Can you imagine being able to write something that becomes a global phenomenon in six months when it took us five years to start this podcast (laughs) (laughs) Are you saying we're a global phenomenon? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think we are Tom Considering (laughs) I can't even say global phenomenon (laughs) (laughs) Phenomenon We are a global phenomenon because, according to our <laughs> podcast statistics, two percent of our listeners are in India. So, oh, yeah, which fits in with uh, me getting confused about the POTA acronym earlier. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it absolutely does. There you go. Sorry, Tom. Carry on. Carry on. Tell us more about about circle, isn't it? Um... <laughs> Um, so, the, like I said, I enjoy the series, but I do want it to stop because, you know, go go out on a high. You know, the, 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 when they rebooted the series, that's when I started getting into it again. Mm-hmm. I remember going to see Rise of the Planet of the Apes in the cinema, and it was... Great film. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. Um, um, I'm today, actually. Um, yeah. It sort of the... called me a little. The Matt Reeves trilogy, the most recent trilogy, is what has rekindled my interest in that franchise. Um, because it's never been something I've been all that enamoured with, but it's a Rise of the Planet of the Apes is a fantastic film. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is even better. Um, and then War for the Planet of the Apes, again, they, they find a way to make... Um, they make it a very human story which i think is the reason it it endures so much is because it is very much about how humans behave and what we do to the planet and nature and the way we interact with the things around us in 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 many ways um but yeah i mean 1968 first film came out so like i said it's been around you know for two three generations basically the original planet of the apes like saga was okay 
It was all right. It was a good introduction to the world of Planet of the Apes. There are some... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, go on. (laughs) I I will admit there are some absolute dog shit films within that. (laughs) Mark Um, Mark Wahlberg. well, I'm not even not even talking yeah, about that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've not even got that far. Um, the, the original films, the first, I'd say, three, pretty good. They're all right. But then you can tell that they ran out of money by the end of the, the, the next two films. <laughs> um, because the, it's, it's like that Family Guy joke, you know, where it's like, they do this big blockbuster action film and you can tell that they don't have the budget for it. And it's like, we need to get across town or the bomb's going to explode. Should we take the helicopter? No, let, let's walk. It's a nice day. And that's what it's like. It, there's a lot of reused scenery, a lot of mm. reused dialogue in the, the later films. But you know what? I'll still watch them because... It, it it is good. It it gets fucking weird when I think it was <laughs> beneath the planet of the apes or journey to the. I don't know what it is. Uh, <laughs> but they go to the center of this planet and literally the humans have been camping out under the Earth's crust and they become <laughs> these really like otherworldly creatures. They're like they they're like telepathic and you just think. Why why are they living like mole people? If they have the ability to take over the planet again, why why are they living down there? And that was weird. That that is on par with that Superman film with the cellophane S, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's those was... sort of things where you think, how did this um go through an entire production with nobody saying, you know what, guys, this is a bit strange. <laughs> of all the people that work on a movie, it always baffles me when these bad ideas make it to screen. Alongside the films as well, I mean, I did research it, and you know, it, it's gone through a lot of problems. So they released a TV series in 1974. Oh, um, is that the one where there's like a couple of apes brought into our time period? So I think that's the film. I think that is um, Escape from the Planet of the Apes because uh, in the, yeah. the two apes that are in all of the series go on a, this, like a journey into space and they land on a planet that is basically Earth. Yeah. Um, the TV series is more sort of like, it's still the Planet of the Apes, but how can I describe how terrible it was? <laughs> Well, a couple of years later, they made the animated version. Now, the animated version of the TV series, I don't know if this is true, but the writer said it was um, made as an apology for the live-action TV series. (laughs) 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 Which I think is great. (laughs) Um, Even though, I mean, I had to write down some of the reviews for the animated series. Um, Go on. it, It was... It was canned. Everyone hated it. And apparently it was because, um, again, the problem, they didn't have any money to make an animated series. You don't start making an animated series and then think, oh, well, we've run out of money. What do we do? Um, One of the criticisms was that there was a lack of movement 
so <laughs> literally it'd be like the characters would just be on screen and their mouths wouldn't move or they wouldn't move at all while they were talking. <laughs> that it, sounds awful. It fell into that um, Scooby-Doo, sort of early Scooby-Doo era where it was just like they'd be running down a hallway and you'd see like a potted plant and a framed picture of a boat and then <laughs> the same two miles. That's constantly what it was. Um, one of the reviews I saw, someone had said, I sat through all 13 episodes. What a waste. Four stars. <laughs> <laughs> Is that out of five? Yeah, out of five stars. He gave it four stars. He, he literally says it was a waste of his time. <laughs> Four stars, and it wasn't a waste of his time because he wrote a review about it. Maybe time. Maybe he knows his time isn't actually that valuable. That's why it's still got four stars. Maybe he knows he's just got nothing else going on. (laughs) (laughs) Probably, yeah. You know, Planet of the Apes fans don't generally have anything else to do. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Exhibit A, this podcast. Case and point. Um, <laughs> so the animated series came out in 1975 okay one of the reviews said I predicted there would be an animated series how predictable um, that was by Stare Bear 4 10th of May 2015 <laughs> <laughs> he predicted it 40 years later <laughs> famous wow. uh, time traveller slash reviewer of Eight films. Uh, how, how prophetic is that? <laughs> <laughs> I have never ever heard of this animated series, and I think that probably says everything there is to know about that animated series. I didn't know it existed. It is not good. <laughs> I guess um, they've just buried it in, in the annals of history then. Yeah, well, as a direct result of that, it, the whole series went off a cliff. It, it sort of went on a bit of hiatus and nobody would make a film. Like, nobody would p- touch it. No one would put their fingerprints on that yeah. car crash. I was going to say, it, it went, there was a period of time when it was a, a, a dead franchise, really. Well, it wasn't until the 2000s that they started um, developing. And, you know, it, it went through that phase that f- some films do where someone comes up with an idea and then nothing happens with it, but the, the lead actor still is like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, whoever, yeah. whoever does the film, I'm going to stay. I really want to do this film. And then when it gets released, they're like, no, fuck that, I'm off. Um, <laughs> so early 2000s, they were talking about remaking it. And um, the lead actor who, you know, they say he wasn't going to play the character who Charlton Heston plays, but let's be honest, it's the same character. Um, was Arnold Schwarzenegger? Oh, my God. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Right, hold on a minute. We're going to have to just take a quick break, and then let's come back and just imagine Arnold Schwarzenegger in Planet of the Apes. <laughs> right, Tom, once you've finished eating your walnuts, tell us more about Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
I never knew I wanted something so much. I know, I know. <laughs> it's just because I don't know what I would understand less, Arnold or the apes. <laughs> yeah, did, did Arnold Schwarzenegger speak English by this time? <laughs> he or... doesn't speak English now. <laughs> I love when um, you hear him speak now because he's he's lived in America for 20, 30 years. He has still got the strongest Austrian accent you'll ever hear. <laughs> he makes no effort to tone it down. I, I I think he makes it stronger on purpose, quite frankly. I, I love the fact that they, I think they used a different voice when they released a Terminator in Austria or Germany because he's got the voice of like a country bumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> Can you can you find out if that's true for next time? I'm pretty sure that's true. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that as well. Like he, they said, he sounds like a farmer. I'll <laughs> 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 be back. <laughs> All right, my lover. <laughs> I need you to recycle, please. <laughs> Don't worry yourself. It's, there's no rush. <laughs> Can you just oh my god i mean <laughs> can you imagine if that's what terminator sounded like a west a west country farmer <laughs> it would be an infinitely better film <laughs> I think all action films would be made better with a West Country accent. Yeah. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfuckers. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's just so non-threatening as well, isn't it? <laughs> oh, my God. That would be absolutely spectacular. Every classic action film replaced with a man in a flat cap. <laughs> Here, look at me. I'm the captain now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good God. Oh, oh, that's that's good. Good. <laughs> I think Taken would be pretty solid. It's like, I don't know who I'm probably never going to be able to find you. <laughs> but if I do, I'll give you a stone turning off. That's what I'll do. <laughs> I just want every action film to be like deep faked with um, Robbie Coltrane. Hagrid <laughs> 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 from Harry Potter. Especially because Robbie Coltrane is massive. Uh, I want to see Robbie Coltrane crawling through the vents in Die Hard. <laughs> How difficult that would be for him. <laughs> well, I think. Okay, right. Let's get us back on track. Sorry, one more. You're a wizard hands. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, very good. Right. That was a nice little diversion. Tom, <laughs> tell us about Arnold Schwarzenegger in, or almost in, Planet of the Apes. 
Um, I don't know how it would have worked because this this is around the same time that Tim Burton picked up the series. So can you imagine? Have, have you seen the Tim Burton film? That was my introduction to Planet of You. Which um, you poor, poor summer child. So as, as a kid, yeah. I loved it. As a kid, I really thought it was cool. That's um, that's the Mark Wahlberg one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't imagine Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. Just you know that end scene in Planet of the Apes where uh, spoilers again. He sees a Statue of Liberty and he's on his knees sobbing and getting really dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? There's. I was thinking about that line because. <laughs> yeah. You fucked it. You blew it up. Damn you out the I just Sorry. love the fact um, he's now turned into a Bobcat Goldthwaite. I was thinking about that um, that Charlton Heston line, you know, that, that classic reveal when he sees a Statue of Liberty, because it's one of those, some of those older films have dialogue that you just cannot, use anymore and i was watching the um 2005 king kong last week don't ask me why um and jack black delivers that line that you just can't say it in modern day when he goes "Twas beauty that killed the beast and it just sounded so clumsy <laughs> but back in the 60s it sounded quite poetic and it's like that planet the apes line it just it doesn't hold up it's not dialogue that fits um contemporary movies anymore I think Charlton Heston, like if he was here now, could pull off any line though. He think could. It's just, yeah, he could. Get your hands off me, you damn dirty ape. Yeah, but I mean, Tom Felton cannot pull off that line, and he tried, <laughs> and it didn't work. He, he has a very, very patchy American accent. Um, he turns into Malfoy halfway through. And he does. I said that. I yeah. that film, but the only problem is I can't. I can't, I can't see Tom Felton being Brian Cox's son. <laughs> to me, it doesn't make sense. They're not related. We're all waiting for the Brian Cox impression. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even think what he says in the film. Like, oh, God. I, I, I listened to the um, the X Men episode the other day, and I thought, <laughs> "You you are a grown man." <laughs> it's still one of my favourite things. There. It is. It's 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 amazing. We've spoken about Robbie Coltrane in other films. I, I feel like Professor Brian Cox in all films would be great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, I've, I've just gone immediately to Die Hard again, imagining <laughs> Brian Cox. <laughs> oh, God. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Amazing. What were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, Tom Felson in Rise of the, oh. of the Apes. 
I passed out for a bit then. Um, <laughs> um, what else have I got on here? I love Rise of the Planet of the Apes. It is a brilliant film. I watched it today, and I, you know, I'm not going to try and act hard, but I, I, I welled up <laughs> at some point. Oh, well, it's um... a testament to Andy Circus as well. This. Yeah, mm. Andy Circus is is a, a modern day marvel of of, of acting. Um, when you when you see what he can. You know, he, <laughs> I don't know if he was on the Graham Norton show and he was, he just, he transformed himself into Caesar. Um, he's, he's spectacular. And he, yeah, he, he, he brings Caesar to life in a way that makes him very, very sympathetic. And the, the Caesar James Franco um, storyline, I, I can't remember James Franco's name in the film, sorry, but that, that gives the film a good, a, a good little layer that, Helps you. Yeah. James Franco is a good way into the film for connecting with these characters. That, like I said, that that trilogy is excellent. It's also got one of my favourite actors of all time, and I don't know why I like him so much because he's not really in anything. Um, John Lithgow. He's great. He's he is in everything, and but he's never like the lead in anything, is he? He is so incredibly watchable. Like, John Lithgow is fantastic. I, 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 I'll tell you the bit that I nearly cried in today. Um, when he, when they sat at the table eating breakfast, and you can tell John Lithgow um, is trying to cut his eggs with the bottom of a, a knife. Yeah. yeah. And then Caesar just grabs his hand and turns it round, and I was like, oh. <laughs> it's um, the 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 way they um, create the this trilogy is very very human in that it's us trying to improve ourselves. But people manage to take it and turn it into something that ends up destroying us, and that's a very human thing, I think. It, it's all about family, those films. Yeah, in like different forms of like, and doing what you'll do for your family. I like that. Yeah. That's nice. That's nice. You're Being welcome. Nice. You're welcome. <laughs> it's amazing how something so poetic can come out of a film about apes. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I mean, you know, it's um, f- for me the franchise is is about what it is to be human, um, and I think that is why it stands the test of time because I don't think we still really know what it means to be human, um, and I think these films, I think well, sci-fi, it fits where our podcast is going. Yes, <laughs> we we are going to solve the mysteries of life on this show. But I think sci-fi is a genre that can examine humanity better than any other genre can, um, because it because it, it can it can let us look at ourselves in a way that isn't as obvious. So it, it can trick us into realizing that it's telling us about humans. Things like Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica and the Planet of the Apes. You know, it, it's it's never really you know overtly about humanity but once you delve into it it's it's all about being being human um and just human nature we are the villains in those films like humans are the villains and it's it's great and yeah i'd agree with you and we were talking about how sort of like the the new the new series is actually really good so you've got rise dawn and war Mm-hmm. of Planet of the Apes. Um, in true sort of Disney fashion, um, they're now taking over 
the franchise and reboot yep. um in like i said in true disney fashion ruining what was already well established and good um <laughs> the problem i have with it is not because it's disney it's that what they've said is they're going to disregard any film canon after the 2011 rise of the planet of the apes which i don't think is a good idea i think they 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 did a lot of character development in the the subsequent films that's just going to be lost but what what if the planet of the apes did sort of round out that story quite nicely so i i I don't really know where you there's more stories to tell in 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 that world they've crafted but i'm I'm not sure if it's it, it was very much about caesar really and he's spoilers dead um, so I, I don't know where you take that particular narrative part of the franchise. So it, it does not make sense to just reboot it and tell a different story. No, I don't think so. <laughs> nope. I, if, you, if you're going to do that, then don't, don't start from Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Don't bounce off that film like the <laughs> other two didn't happen. Just reboot it all. Just do a completely different story. Um, yeah, I think well, the, the problem. Oh, sorry, it's like a, a different time frame. It's the same like Star Wars. They're fascinated with certain mm. areas of time, but just go like a hundred years in the past or future. Like yeah, to carry on a bit. Maybe not to like the Charlton Heston films, but somewhere in between or something. Like there's there's lots to be done. Yeah, I think flash forward. Let's see how it how it is in a hundred years or two hundred years. But it, you know, as with anything, though, it's 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 a testament to the franchise that a, a you know a, a book from the sixties can become new films yet to come out in the twenty twenties. That's that's impressive. So um, before we um, move on to also Tom. Um, Prime time. Just, just tell us, um, you know, what this franchise means to you, and, and and just recap why you've you picked it. Give us a a a, a, a closing monologue, if you will. No pressure. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> um, In the style of Charlton Heston. <laughs> I, I just don't have. Yeah, scratchy voice. He's got that, the same voice that all of the action heroes in that time had. The same sort of like mm. Clint Eastwood. Yeah. At the same time. Um, I I love this series, and I know I said I, I want it to stop. I want. I, I feel like the new trilogy was good and stopped. Just cut it off there, and yeah, reboot it if you have to. I'm happy to see new films because. They're great. If, if you said to someone, Planet of the Apes, they will instantly know what it is. Mm. Uh, without even seeing the films, without reading the book, they know what the Planet of the Apes is. Um, you know, it's just been around forever. I mean, yeah, I've been ragging on it for the past, what feels like, like five hours. Um, <laughs> but they, they are great films, you know. And it's the same with every, every franchise. We'll get into it probably with your guys, but it it has like kernels of films that are just great, and then some that are just dog shit, but you still <laughs> watch them. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was beautiful. Thank you, Tom. Uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll 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 take a break, and then we'll find out what also Tom has in store for us. 
Would you care to tell us what you have picked as the best movie franchise of all time and why? Savage 1924, total revenue £76 billion. Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's also Tom's bit done. Right, moving on. <laughs> no, I kid. But Winnie the Pooh is like the third highest grossing thing ever. Media franchise wise. Wow. Top one being uh, Pokemon, even though it's only established 96. Guess how much that has made total revenue? Um, what's Winnie the Pooh made just out of interest? So Winnie, the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh is third at 76 billion. Oof. Uh, Pokemon, 250 billion. Uh, you've shot. You've, you jump a shark there. That's... Ah, <laughs> damn it. Uh, yeah, $95 billion. Wow. It makes sense, though, because you think of the merchandise for Pokemon alone. Yeah, that, that is... 24 years. That's not, like, that long, really. It's, it's scary. Yeah. And that's, that's not counting the uh, counterfeit merchandise as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had a... Um... A shiny sand slash card, and then it peeled off when I was about eight or nine, and I cried at school because it was a fake. And one of the older boys had traded me a fake. I was heartbroken. And then was your mum like, Lewis, stop it, you're embarrassing yourself. You're 25. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> oh. no, I'll try again. Uh, I have gone for, well, I don't know whether to call it the Hobbit franchise or the Lord of the Rings franchise, but... Lord of the Rings franchise. Tolkien. The, the Tolkien world. The Tolkien extended universe. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, uh, The Hobbit, or There and Back Again, uh, first published 1937. Uh, that, like, sold, like, 35 to 100 million copies. And then Lord of the Rings came out... Uh, well, it was written between 37 and 49... Started coming out in '54, sold over 100, uh, 150 million books. Wow, that's a, a lot. lot. That's a lot of books. That's a lot of books. <laughs> and I just think they're the best. Not the books, but the films and everything. Every, so, everything about it makes me did, excited. Did you discover the franchise first via the books or the films? Uh, sort of. Well, it's kind of a book, actually, because the first thing I did got were uh, cassette tapes of The Hobbit. Right. With, listen, old, with old school audio books. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, it was Hits of Queen, um, as sung by Falcon. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, I, like, I used to fall asleep listening to The Hobbit. That bad, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's, um, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty... <laughs> I'm sorry, I've just got the image of an infant Tom Reed just, like, passed out listening to um, The Hobbit, waiting for the cowpole to kick in. <laughs> it's no, a, um... no cowpole for me. 
it's a pretty um pretty solid choice though because you know, Tolkien, one of the great if not greatest um fantasy writers in in history um you know as someone that created an entire world an entire mythology um it's it's it very much unrivaled in, in in many respects in terms of the the depth of um content that you've got yeah. to work with I, I would argue he's probably one of the the most influential author of all time mm. yeah like, yeah like yeah, there's other like fantasy worlds and stuff created, but since then, almost all fantasy worlds can be compared to Tolkien in some way. Yeah, which they are definitely. Like he drew a lot of stuff from a lot of Norse mythology and like epic poetry and like uh, Brothers Grimm stuff and all that kind of thing. But like, imagine an elf. Okay. Uh, how describe it? Um, pointy ears, thin, kind of, kind of pasty looking, kind of got, you know, very pointy features. I, I would imagine. Yeah, like I like what six foot. Yeah, unless it's one of Santa's. Well, yeah, other than Santa. <laughs> <laughs> but like tall elves, that's Tolkien. But before then, they were like fairy folk and that kind of thing, like little like fairies and stuff. That is all Tolkien. Orcs. Completely Tolkien. Like before that, I think it was mentioned. I've got all oh, my notes. These are weird. Uh, Good. The word uh, Orkneus was mentioned once in Beowulf, which basically meant evil spirits. And yeah, orcs as we know them, that's all Tolkien. Never before that were they like that. Well, so yeah, so he he's very much created something that when people say it now, they instantly know what it looks like. And you you could be forgiven for thinking orcs have been a, a, around for two, three hundred years as a as a fictional creation, then couldn't you? Yeah, like there's obviously there's influences and all sorts like ogres and various mm. things, but the like orcs and elves and halflings and that kind of thing as we know them, it's thanks to Tolkien. Like he's got Tolkien Tolkien. Ian, which is hard word to say, Tolkien Ian. That, that is a bit of a mouthful. Like Tom with his walnuts got a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> and Tolkien-esque are both in the Oxford English Dictionary. Like, how often do you get people that have their own words? I mean, when you think of, yeah, you think of uh, authors that have created words, you know, you, you're going to go to Shakespeare first and then yeah. maybe... Tolkien, um, someone like Isaac Asimov, maybe, but there's there's not many that have, have you know put vocabulary into the world on yeah. their own. Uh, uh, it's just so uh, there's so much. He's so much influence. Like all fantasy novels since, and he caused like a rise in fantasy novels and writing that mm-hmm. we still seeing the effects of, like. Even modern day, like Game of Thrones and all that kind yeah. of. That's sort of the that's the thing that I I, I jump to because w- whenever people um, argue about Game of Thrones, whether it's for or against, they might say, "Oh well, I didn't like Lord of the Rings, so I won't like Game of Thrones." Well, you know, they they just assume it's the same thing because <laughs> the, a lot of the the elements are clearly influenced from Lord of the Rings, but still its own thing. But on the other hand, people that love Lord of the Rings are probably going to love Game of Thrones as well. 
because it, it it follows similar sort of themes and and like that that fantasy element is very much Tolkien esque. <laughs> yeah, I'll admit though, I I I don't enjoy Lord of the Rings. I don't, I don't enjoy the films. Don't I haven't read them. Um, but really enjoy Game of Thrones. Yeah. I think that they've got their own individual merits. I understand why people really love the the Tolkien franchise, but yeah, it's just it's not for me. I'm a big fan of world building. I love when authors create a world and then expand on it, and they they they've thought about how even the little things work in the world they've crafted. Yeah, so well, that if you so if languages, you, yeah, well, yeah, well, that, that's beyond even what I was thinking then. But just, you know, it's 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 that whole thing of it. it the, there's similarities to our life but you can see the way this world is completely different as well and i just think that the ingenuity for crafting a, an entirely different world is it's something I, i'm just a huge fan of that in in, in fiction writing and the reason game of thrones works for me is because you, you've got the um sort of the supplementary material as well and, and you can delve into the lore and the history and, and that's again that comes from tolkien as well i, I would imagine yeah, a lot, a lot of that kind of thing. Like, I appreciate, like, the films are very uh, sincere and I don't know how to describe them, but I, I can see why people wouldn't be really into them because they're very sweeping and kind of involved. Mm. It, it's a lot of walking, a lot of walking <laughs> around New Zealand. But it's not pretty. <laughs> it sounds lovely. I, I would agree with you, though. It is... It's, it has springboarded a lot of the um, franchises, a lot of the series that I, I, people do enjoy, like Game of Thrones. And, you know, as, as a kid, you know, as a teenager, apart from masturbating, um, probably playing World of Warcraft was what I spent most of my time doing. So <laughs> Sometimes at the same time. <laughs> then, well, yeah, there's all those like, the video games like World of Warcraft and... All, all that kind of thing that has some... <laughs> <Et cetera>. <laughs> <laughs> if the biggest online game, you can't be like, World of Warcraft and that one. Like... <laughs> RuneScape. Um, Do you remember RuneScape? Spent the... too much time RuneScape. And The Witcher. Yeah. Lots, so many different things that all mm. draw influence from it. Like, uh, and even like uh, Dungeons and Dragons, which is my favourite game. We know. <laughs> but like they, it that is so close in various different ways to the like a lot of the official settings of Dungeons and Dragons are basically Tolkien worlds, where it's all elves and dwarves and dragons and stuff. But like it was even more like that before the uh, Tolkien estate threatened copyright. <laughs> <laughs> it used to have hobbits, which are now halflings. Uh, it used to have Ents, which are now Tree Ants. Wow. And Balrogs, which are now Baylor. So that's fun. Uh, where am I? You are on a podcast. Oh, good. Okay. I'm, I'm so, sorry to say. <laughs> uh, did you know there was a 1978 animated Lord of the Rings? No, but I'm suddenly finding out that lots of franchises had animated series today. <laughs> but yeah, everyone knows like the Hobbit trilogy and the Lord of Rings trilogy, but there's some really weird stuff that came before that. <laughs> Do tell. 
Do tell. Uh, yeah, I'll start with Lord of the Rings, the uh, 1978 animated version. Uh, back then, a lot of the animation was more like, uh, what's the word, character actors and people you may not know from mainstream stuff. Yeah. But uh, John Hurt of Aragorn. Wow. Son. He's someone. Yeah. And uh, Anthony Daniels, C-3PO himself, was Legolas. Oh, excellent. Do you reckon he played in the same sort of skittish way he played C-3PO? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I would love that. Yeah, and R2-D2 was Gimli, so that's... <laughs> no, that's not, <laughs> <laughs> not the actor who played R2-D2. Just that's, why, R2-D2. that's why it took a minute for that to sink in, because I was like, does he mean Kenny Baker? And just R2-D2 bloop bleeping the whole time. <laughs> be, it'd be even better if it was Christopher Walken as R two D two as Gimli. Bebop do. Bebop. Just wind him up <laughs> and set him loose. Bebop do. Oh great. <laughs> You're right there, Tom. Oh, rocking, rocking in your chair with your Asda brand beer. <laughs> In a chair with a beer and a packet of nuts. Perfect Saturday afternoon, quite <laughs> frankly. Uh, well, Sorry, Tom, I, carry on. Uh, yeah, but the Hobbit also had weird things before it, but it's a, a 66 uh, short Czech animation, uh, which I don't think anyone saw. No. Uh, a 77 animated TV film as well. And I, if you take anything away from this, Go look up the 1985 USSR film of The Hobbit. Oh my god. <laughs> live, live action. <laughs> so it, it's glorious. It's the the Ruskies made a Hobbit film, is what you're saying. Yeah. And it's amazing. <laughs> should should we be lining this up for a future episode? I don't think we'd make it through it. <laughs> right, I'll tell you what. What's intended to be like to get people to join like <laughs> Soviet <laughs> Union is, is, is it all just Soviet yeah. Union propaganda there's a bit of that <laughs> Tom's watched it and now he's ready to go and um, kill <laughs> John Lennon he's <laughs> done <laughs> a lot of interesting things I don't know yeah. anyway <laughs> uh, I don't feel I even need to touch on the trilogies too much but um, they've got, they've got at least a 50% success rate. One and a half of them are good. <laughs> well, I've got the, like, the, the Rotten Tomatoes and all that kind of thing scores. I'll tell you what, save it for after the break. Okay. Have seen Lego Batman? Yep. Yes. Of course. Uh, the Eye of Sauron's in that, isn't it? And it's played by Jermaine from Flight of the Concord. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Let's go. He's great, isn't he? Um, right, Tom, yeah. drop some more Lord of the Rings knowledge oh, bombs no, no. on us. Uh, oh, yeah. Even though The Hobbit is not as good as The Lord of the Rings, it's just. The film yeah. or the book? Both. Well, the book's quite interesting. The book's, it's kind of like what you were saying about Harry Potter earlier. The Hobbit is a children's book. Like, he wrote that for kids, and then he wrote The Lord of the Rings for the kids growing up. Yeah. For the same audience, just different over different times. 
Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Rotten Tomatoes, Lord of the Rings, in both the Tomato Meter and Audience Score, are both are all over 90%. Uh, like Two Towers is 95% in both scores, which you don't see. You don't no, see agree with it. Particularly these days when you get films like, I don't know, uh, The Last Jedi that is universally praised by critics and then the fans hate it because, hashtag, that's not my Skywalker. <laughs> <coughs> that's not my Skywalker. <laughs> there are still petitions to have that film scrapped from official Star Wars canon, which is ludicrous. Yeah. Weird. It's not, not going to happen, is it? No. no. Well, it might do. We're, we're getting the Snyder Cut, so... Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> do you think it'll happen? Yeah. Idiots vote in record numbers, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> no, we've got, we've got political again. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, like, The Lord of the Rings got 30 Oscar nominations over the three films. That's, that's impressive, that. You know, because ten averaging ten a film. I mean, what Titanic got eleven? Um, what what was it this year that got like a record number of Oscar nominations? I don't know what it was, but very very few films will average nominations like that. Even if it is like makeup, visual effects, costume, it's still that's that's a good track record. That and Return yeah. of the King did win Best Picture, didn't it? Well, that Return of the King, it got a not. I've got it written down here somewhere. On them. Uh, I think it was like nominated for like eleven things, and it won all of them. Wow! Uh, I think that was like. I wouldn't agree that Return of the King is the best of the films, but it was that sort of recognition of a trilogy. It, and that's like, yeah, that's exactly. It was like a, a, almost like a little mini lifetime achievement award. It was it was the Oscar for all three of them basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that was sort of widely accepted, but it, it was earned nonetheless. Yeah, and I think you like what you say about Titanic. That's I think that's the highest drawing thing about Titanic, and I think Ben Hur all had like eleven wins. Mm. Uh, that's cool. That's a cool thing. It, it, it is because you know it's it's not often that genre films actually succeed in the artsy fancy awards show, which is why when. Black Panther got nominated for Best Picture. It was such a big thing because your genre, your comic book films, your superhero films very rarely get acknowledged by the elites of, of Hollywood's. Um, so to have something like Lord of the Rings sweeping up at the Oscars uh, was pretty much unheard of, really. That's the last... Well, originally, it used to, back in the day, it used to be the popular film as well being the ones nominated, but then it started being more like... Hollywood being like, oh, aren't we good? Yeah. Yeah, Hollywood liked to reward films that were about Hollywood, which is why they love La La Land, because it's mostly just about <laughs> being in Hollywood. It's, it's not a good musical. Mm. Same uh, <laughs> At me, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Hobbit also got seven nominations. Didn't win any, but it got nominated. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's you know, <laughs> it, it can't be a bad film to get nominated. Although Suicide Squad did get nominated for an Oscar, I just like to point that out. So you can't always trust these. Uh, but yeah, this. Ah, uh, oh, I was looking at numbers. Like the the Lord of the Rings 
total grossing was almost three billion. Wow. Which is quite impressive. But so was The Hobbit. Almost three billion. But then total budget for the three Lord of the Rings was uh, uh, 281 million. Uh, Hobbit was 655 million for the three films. That's too much. That's too much, that, man. That's it. Did, did all that go on Benedict Cumberbatch's smog? <laughs> I think so. They could have hired the New Zealand Army, but no. <laughs> but no. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Do you want well, a little uh, a factoid? Do you know completely aside to everything? Do you know who is part of the New Zealand Army? Who is part of the New Zealand Army? Uh, Brett. And Jermaine from Flight of the Concords. Uh yeah, because they have like weird um law what laws or things where almost everyone is, don't they? Yeah. Oh that's mad. Yeah. I didn't know that. They, they were doing like a, a talk show thing and they were like, Yeah, we're part of the New Zealand army and they were like, We're never gonna go to war, so <laughs> why not? Yeah. Well that Brett, Brett's in it. Uh, Brett was just a random elf. <laughs> is that how he credited I think so he got one line he's doing alright does he like yeah. lead a horse to someone yeah it's like he's with Arwen and I think they're going off to the boats or some elfy stuff uh, that's, that's a very Lord of the Rings sentence in a boat doing some elfy stuff elfy stuff it's what they do uh, does any of your franchises have a uh Weird descendant of like a separate genus in the hominid world named after it? No, <laughs> I'm not even sure what you've just said. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was too much, but yeah, but a bit of jumbled. But yeah, discovered 2003, uh, and an island called Flores in Indonesia. They discovered like these uh, a new branch of humanity, like it's basically hobbits. They discovered hobbits. So about three foot seven, three foot six inches tall would have been about around about fifty thousand years ago. And they nicknamed him Hobbit. That's pretty they, cool. I've never heard of that. And for a second, I thought you meant they found them living in two thousand three. I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> How have I not heard of this sooner? <laughs> That's okay. one of those weird. There's a, a small landmass, and like there were like pygmy elephants or something like smaller versions of a lot of different animals, including humans. <laughs> Pretty cool. And yeah, I, think I still... genuinely thought you were going to say as well that they'd found this little village cut off from everywhere, you know, a bit <laughs> like Roanoke, just like <laughs> <laughs> it just never been discovered, just disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. Well, I mean, I don't think we're far off from my franchise coming into the real world. I feel like Simeon Flu is probably <laughs> going to be the next. <laughs> oh, God. And we'll all be living underground like mole people. <laughs> we'll become telepaths. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, yeah, uh, Lord of Rings is also. Uh, the biggest commercial flop in West End history. It's still got a, a, an achievement, I guess. So. Yeah, it was a, yeah, a musical. It got like a twenty-five million dollar, like million pound budget. It so, like it, they did it in Toronto for a year, came to the West End, and then left for West End a year later. 
That is ridiculous. In a world where SpongeBob SquarePants has a hit. <laughs> wow. Well, that's that's why you cannot trust the audience. The audience is <laughs> stupid. Uh, I feel like I, I I get why people don't like it, but it's one of those ones where every time I go back to it, it makes me happy. I mean, people don't like it. You know, it, there's always people don't like anything, basically. But as a, you know, of the franchises we've all picked, I know we've not come onto mine yet, but yours has stood the test of time more than any others. There's very few um, movie franchises these days that you can date back to the 30s. I mean, Disney, obviously, and, and, and you know, Mickey Mouse, but... And then you've got things like your classic horror monsters, Universal can can go back to the 1800s. But I mean, as a something that is as popular as Lord of the Rings as well, there's very very few that have been around for coming up on a hundred years, which is it's mind boggling really. Um, and like you said, the way it's permeated other parts of pop culture and helped craft things like Game of Thrones and influence authors like J.K. Rowling as well. Um, you can't escape it. No, no, and it'd be a, a we'd we'd be bereft of some incredible fantasy content without J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, so, tell us why you think that it is the best of the best, and just what what does it mean to you personally? And where do you want to see it go next? Okay, well, objectively, you could do the whole arguing of, like, Oscars and critics and critical acclaim for the books and films for decades. Uh, but that's boring. I just, it's just fun. It looks really nice, and it's cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not going to use facts and figures. I'm just going to say it's nice and cool. It's cool. It's got wizards. And dwarves and orcs and stuff. And I remember it was, I think, Fellowship of the Ring. I went with, and my, my grandma was there as well, and my mum, and we all went to see it. And my mum can no longer go in uh, multi story car parks. Because after, after the Mines of Moria, she just like, she thought there were going to be orcs coming around from like, behind <laughs> <I mean>, park cars. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> Wow, so the <laughs> franchise you've picked has emotionally scarred your mother. Yep, and uh, that's why I love it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, but yeah, uh, You'd be terrified in a multi-story ca- car park where I live. Some people <laughs> genuinely look like orcs. So. <laughs> <laughs> the goblin skits out from like behind a Kia. Uh, but as to uh, where it's going I'm actually quite excited to see where it is going because you've got the series coming expected 2021 that's right Um, Amazon are making they've spent all the money to get the right all the money they've spent hundreds of millions on this series well I've got it here the rights they brought the rights for 215 million Jesus Christ that's a budget for two films alone just to get the rights well, they've made a five-season commitment, Oof. which is which is worth at least one billion. That is, 
eye-watering amounts of money. If that show isn't good, that is going to be a disaster for Amazon. It's already the most show ever. The the problem is it's Amazon Prime, and Amazon Prime is very much Netflix light. Mm. (laughs) The series just, they're okay, but there's no sort of like series where you go, oh, that was fantastic. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But I, I suppose they're banked on this being their Game of Thrones, their Stranger Things. That's definitely what they're going for. Yeah. Like the Game of Thrones market. Yeah. Wow. That I mean, I mean that alone just shows the 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 legs that franchise has got. To say that the the biggest company in the world is willing to part with a quarter of a billion dollars just to own the rights to it alone, you know, you, you've got to have confidence that there's an audience there for that. Yeah. Have they- have they cast any of it? Uh, they I, they have got some like casts up on IMDb yet. Uh, there's not really many big names as far as I can see. They have started casting a few characters that we would know. Because even though it's like, well, to get nerdy, the second age of Middle Earth, so it's pre Lord of the Rings and everything, like by quite a margin. But you still have like Galadriel and characters that are like hundreds and thousands of years old. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, some Swedish-born Welsh lasses, Galadriel. And... I don't, I, I don't mind going for the the, the lesser-known people because sometimes when you get these big, big-named actors in, it can it can take you out of the moment because that Game of Thrones didn't have. They had Sean Bean, and they knew he wasn't going to stick around. And other than that, it was a <laughs> lot of unknown actors. And it, it lets you just um, throw yourself into the character rather than being obsessed with the actor. Because if you had someone like Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> as soon as you see someone recognisable, you're like, "Whoa, I'm out of, I'm out of it now." It pulls you out of the world immediately. Um, yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. Also, I don't think they can afford anyone. Well, yeah, they spent all the money on just getting <laughs> the rights. Um, excellent. Okay, well, that was some in-depth history of Lord of the Rings. Um, I've got far too many numbers on this page. I'm just getting sort of weird dyslexic visions. Of <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for the... Uh, appreciate the work you've put in there also, Tom. Um, I, I have learned something today, which... And Wikipedia is wonderful. I'm not going to lie. I've spent a lot of time on Wikipedia for my entry, which we will get on to after this break. Right. Well, we've been doing this for two hours, so let's get on to my my uh, pick before we all pass out. Um, so, we've discussed Planet of the Apes. We have discussed Lord of the Rings. My franchise dates back originally to 1952. A young chap known by the name Ian Fleming wrote a book oh. called Casino Royale um, and many other books as well, I would add. Um, which then, of course, spawned what I think is maybe not the best, but one of the best movie franchises of all time, which is, of course, James Bond. Um, just the movie franchise itself obviously started in 1962 with Dr. No, um, Sean Connery, of course, the legendary uh, first actor of James Bond. Um, what do you think the budget was for Dr. No in 1962? 
20 quid, quid and a packet of port scratchings for Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> You're close. You're close. Tom Prime, what's your guess? And any advance on uh, packet of port scratchings? 20 million. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a middle ground here. It was $1 million. And the only reason I ask it was because when you flash forward to this year's um, now delayed No Time to Die, the budget for the, the latest Daniel Craig film is 250 times that. It is $250 million for No Time to Die this year, which is just, it, it, it's mind-boggling. Um, but, of course, you, you started with, with Sean Connery in, in 1962. He, he then went on to do From Russia with Love, Goldfinger, arguably the best of, of the Bond films. <laughs> Thank you very much. Broadway wears that really awkward Speedo, or am I thinking of <laughs> I think there's a couple where um, Sean Connery is is in some is scantily clad, and he's got uh, that really hairy chest, like someone's dropped a lolly on a carpet. <laughs> oh, you, you, you've reminded me of a Sean Connery film where his outfit is red speedos and like a bandolier across his chest and a beard. Yeah, that sci-fi film. I can't remember what it's called. You want to hear um, a great Sean Connery joke? Okay. Um, what time does Sean Connery watch Wimbledon? Time. Tennis. Why did your Sean Connery sound like Bane? <laughs> it is very Bane. Tennis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. I like that. Um, can I get back to my... Uh... <laughs> yeah, sorry, carry on. <laughs> um, so, Sean Connery did, um, obviously, Goldfinger, Thunderball, You Only Live Twice, and then we had a strange interlude when George Lazenby did On Her Majesty's Secret Service, and then they went back to Sean Connery for Diamonds Are Forever, wise choice. Um, and then you move into the, the Roger Moore era when things get a little bit um, a bit yeah. more light-hearted, a bit campy. Uh, but still very much enjoyable. He, he, he just he brought a different vibe to, to James Bond. Um, Roger Moore did Man with the Golden Gun, The Spy Who Loved Me, Moonraker, For Your Eyes Only, Octopussy, um, and A View to a Kill. <laughs> um, in between that, we had the, a strange return of Sean Connery with Never Say Never Again, which isn't technically Bond canon. It was a very confusing... Yeah, I- which film is it where they basically made it twice because two people had rights to different versions of it? Is that it... was Never Say Never Again, and I'm not sure what the other one is. Um, but yeah, Never Say Never Again wasn't an Eon Productions film, um, and they did that in '83. So about ten years after Connery had left the role, he came back and did that that film. Um, after Roger Moore, we get Timothy Dalton. Uh, I'm a big Timothy Dalton fan personally. Uh, the, the films just aren't very good. Uh, but you get The Living Daylights and Licence to Kill, and then you get to my era of James Bond, and my first introduction to Bond was Piers Brosnan's Goldeneye in 1995, which for me is up there with, with the best of the best. And then you get Tomorrow Never Dies, The World Is Not Enough, Die Another Day, and then we move into the modern era with Daniel Craig, um, Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, Skyfall, Spectre, and the upcoming No Time to Die. Daniel Craig, by the way, has now been James Bond for longer than anybody else. 
Yeah. No, mad. It's I mental, that. A Daniel Craig, James Bond film. What? <laughs> what? I've seen, all, I've seen all the others. I've just never seen Daniel Craig as James Bond. Daniel Craig is a very good James Bond. Um, I'll, I'll come on to him in, in, in a little bit, but he's... There's a reason he's done it for 15 years, basically. Um, but obviously you mentioned about Lord of the Rings and it's it's very impressive movie gross. I'm going to swing out my James Bond dick now. Um, Bond <laughs> has grossed over $7 billion at the box office. So look at that for a movie dick. Um, That's a big movie albeit, dick. Yeah, albeit over, over 60 years. Um, I... I- do this for Planet of the Apes. I feel like mine would be a chode. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very apt analogy. <laughs> um, but there's just there's something about the Bond franchise that I just love. It, you know, there are some some stinkers in there. There's some films that are just not good. But on the flip side of that, there are some classic classic films it's a um it's the movie franchise that for me defined and very much instigated an entire movie genre of of spy movies and i think it it creates um modern movie tropes that we that we're so familiar with And and i think the way tolkien sort of influenced writers i think bond helps influence modern cinema in in a way um the 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 blueprint of those films is copied by a lot of other films and things like the one-liners bond very much made one-liners such a crucial element of film so that they are quotable to your friends and when you come away from it that's what you that's the first thing you say when you get home is is one of bond's classic lines and other films have, have, have very much borrowed that um that trick i think yeah, like, but I, I would also argue to your point that it's influenced other films. I think one of the things in at least re- relatively recent years is the Bond films seeing what's popular in the current film market and making that part of them as well. Mm-hmm. Like, if you look at, compare like the Brosnan Bond films to the Craig Bond films, what yeah. happened between them? The Bond films. Yeah, uh, and, and then you see like the frenetic action and stuff of like Casino Royale, and like it's, it's very you can see the influence of like the Bourne identity and that kind of thing in that. Abs- yeah, absolutely. Um, Bond. I, I'll come on to this towards the end, but Bond films and the the the, dif- the different eras of the actors and and their movies are very much reflective of their times. Um, but I've I've just I've written down a few of the classic one-liners. I mean, you may have heard some of these, you may not have. Um, the obvious one, the name's Bond, James Bond. It's so simple, but it's every film has it to the point where you almost didn't get it in Casino Royale until the very last line. And this is after we've had a huge hiatus of Bond between Brosnan and Craig, and it's the last line of the film, and it's just. I don't know. It, 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 I remember seeing that in the cinema, and then the theme music kicked in, and it just gave me goosebumps. Did like, you do it? I did. I did a little poo. Yeah. Um, oh. It's just so effortlessly cool. When they do Bond right, it is just it just oozes <laughs> coolness. Um, and then you get some of the the, the funnier lines, like um, 
keeping up the British end. <laughs> uh, a classic Roger Moore line. Um, Sean Connery delivered one line as better than anybody else, really. Um, it, it, it's hard to do it justice, but I think the when you think of a classic Connery line, it's it's when he wakes up to um, probably the the best Bond girl name, Pussy Galore, um, and he just says, "I must be dreaming," and it's just it's just <laughs> amazing because only Connery can deliver that with such sincerity as well. Um, and you think of things like like Goldfinger when you get that amazing uh, exchange between Bond and Goldfinger. Uh, and Bond is strapped to the table with with the laser beam, and that has become an image so synonymous yeah. with just action films in general now. Um, and and he, you know, he turns to me and says, "Do you expect me to talk?" And it's just, and the response is amazing. No, Mister Bond, I expect you to die. It, amazing. I just <laughs> there's, there's there's few moments that I think have been immortalised in cinema more than that. Um, what was, I mean, I'm assuming you guys are familiar with the franchise, but what, what got you into James Bond, if if anything? Uh, I, well, I think for me, my problem, it'll be like randomly flicking onto it on a Sunday afternoon kind of job. Mm. So when I was a kid, I really liked Roger Moore because he was just the one that was on my most because he was the most family friendly. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so I've got a soft, I've got a soft spot for Roger Moore. I like Roger Moore's Bond. I must it's say, like, I like Roger Moore. He, um, it, it's a fun era of Bond. It's not a, it's not as serious. Um, there are some good Roger Moore Bonds. There's just some really, really bad ones. Um, Which is I, the one? Where the, is it? Is it Moonraker? Where they're on the the dune buggies in space? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Moonraker and A View to a Kill are very bad Bond films. Well, I, I love that Jaws gets a little happy ending in Moonraker. She gets like a little blonde girlfriend, doesn't he? Yeah, the um, <laughs> the, the redemption arc of Jaws is uh, an, a, the redeeming quality of, of Moonraker. Um, but it's funny you mention about, um, you know, Saturday afternoon telly, because there's another reason I think James Bond is... is you know, one of your best movie franchises because of how intrinsically linked it is to an entire nation's culture of being British. I, I, I don't think there's many movie franchises that are so closely connected to just one nation. That like Bond is just so inherently British, and the franchise. You know, when when you go to other countries, it's one of those things that people associate with with Britain is is James Bond. Um, and, <laughs> and I, I just think that's a, an impressive thing for you know a work of fiction to become so synonymous with what it is to be an Englishman or you know well British really mostly Sean Connery Scottish of course um, yeah it, it, it very much crafted uh, sort of a, a very unique identity for for itself that. I think helps it stand out from from other films in that kind of the way we mentioned the Marvel films do this. It's got its its own blueprint. It's got a formula that that works for it. Um, you've got your Bond cars, your Bond girls, your gadgets, and the songs as well. I mean, how yeah. many 
how many movie franchises have created that many classic hit songs i mean i can't think of many that have had that many songs written for them other than musicals like you know like footloose or something yeah no like soundtracks as a separate thing well not even fair even the bond theme is like, yeah the so. yeah i mean the, the actual bond theme itself is one of the most recognizable pieces of music in in pop culture um but i mean some of the songs you've got some genuinely fantastic songs um my personal favorite nobody does it better which um if you get a chance <laughs> he's gonna do this every one that i list now every yep. song that i list tom's gonna do is just um, if i know it it's gonna happen there's a there's a really <laughs> The voice of Shirley Bassey for everyone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even the one she hasn't sung. <laughs> yeah, um, there, there's a really sort of bittersweet um, thing that ICV did when Roger Moore passed away. They they did this really nice montage of his time as Bond uh, with nobody does it better playing over the top. Um, yeah, it was really sweet. Um, you've got Tom Jones's Thunderball, which is. A power ballad to end all power ballads. Uh, Tina Turner's Golden Eye, which is again just belts it out. Obviously... Go on, Tom, waiting. Hit that Golden Eye note. No. <laughs> Wise choice. Um, and then, like you said, Shirley Bassey has, has a few. Diamonds Are Forever. Um... I can see lower register. I can do Bassey. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Moonraker. Resume. I can. I can do Bassey. <laughs> it's like when you, when you find out things. What accents can you do? Uh, English RP. Uh, English North. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, and then you get you know the legendary Live and Let Die as well. So the the songs alone for me are, are reason enough to to put it up there. Um, and then, like I said, it's it's one of those franchises that is so um, there's just there's a lot of a lot of coolness to it. And I think the Bond cars do a lot for that. I mean, Aston Martin's business relies on James Bond now. Um, <laughs> when they put a BMW in Goldeneye, Aston Martin were genuinely furious that he was driving some convertible BMW in Cuba and not an Aston Martin at the end of the film. Um, I, I, I knew next to nothing about cars and still don't. But as a kid, I knew, ah, oh, Aston Martin, they're cool cars. Because James yeah. Bond has an Aston Martin. Yeah. I, mean, I like the idea that in the new film, he's just going to be riding around in a Ford Focus. <laughs> he's falling hard times. <laughs> MI6 budget is stretched because of uh, austerity. Um, I'm living in a Kia. But when you think of um, those tactile <laughs> movie props and, and particularly movie vehicles, you know, the classic vehicles like the DeLorean, the Millennium Falcon, the Aston Martin DB5 is alongside the, the most recognisable movie vehicles you're ever going to ever going to see. Um, and again, I think that's a, a testament to just how enduring um that that franchise is and how much we again the aston martin is is a very british um brand and it, it i think it's just something that we um we associate with our national identity as well um what we'll do 
we'll take a little break and then I will come back and discuss Bond girls and gadgets. Right, let's finish this. Carried on with James Bond. Um, again, one of the other um, very recognisable parts of every Bond film is the Bond girls. Now, some of the earlier films are a bit problematic in this regard. It, it was the 60s. Earlier okay? <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, well, up until about Daniel Craig's film, shall we say. Um, but, I mean, the the Bond girls are synonymous with, you know, the James Bond films. You, you've got the the classics like Maude Adams, Diana Rigg, uh, Ursula Andress, our show favourite, Famke Janssen uh, from GoldenEye. Um, and then you've got the, um, probably the most recognised, which, which is uh, Honor Blackman, who played Pussy Galore, of course. Um it's it's very much become a um i don't know i think as a as a young boy the bond girls are very much the the stuff of fantasy so it's it's it finds that way of 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 appealing to just entire generations of pubescent men <laughs> <laughs> you know and you think of I'm that scene glad in... you named them to be honest because i i couldn't have named one of them the ones I know are from Austin Powers and American Dad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the one that comes to mind is Ivana Humpalot. Um, <laughs> and uh, in American Dad, she's called Sex Puntacum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's um, the one in um, one of the previous persons? Christmas something. Christmas Jones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he, he has that line when he says, I thought Christmas only came once a year. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I told you there were some problematic things with the Bond girls in these movies. <laughs> I'm not saying the perfects, okay? I'm just saying it's part of the film. Um, it's a thing with um, the end of Kingsman. The whole, like, when he's uh, the video and it's about he's about to have the sexy times. Yeah. That's all Bond films. Yeah. Well, there's yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, films like Kingsman and, and and the Bond films, they they try and capture the James Bond audience, but try and forge their own own identity. Um, then you've got some. Sorry. Go we keep going on to like I keep talking about Family Guy and stuff like that, but it's <laughs> it's just that it's the Sean Connery joke where it's like he. He just talks women into bed. It's like, you're going to have sex with me. <laughs> no, I'm not. I don't even know you. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Like, three... like, okay, I will. <laughs> <laughs> Is it three no's and a yes means yes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's a little undertone to that because there is a moment, I, I don't know which Sean Connery film it is, but he does more or less force himself on, on a woman. It's a bit rapey. Um, oh, that's that's right, Lewis. That's just... yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is the the biggest thing I've, at least in recent years, that people don't like the James the Bond films mm. can comment about it is the misogyny and yeah, that's um that's 
certainly as as the past 10 years or so they've they've tried to evolve the films because of how much particularly you know um things like the me too movement have have evolved our our values um bond is sometimes deliberately sometimes not is is very much a, a part of a bygone era um and sometimes that can work but in some cases it's it, it's a little bit risky the things that he says and does and tries to do. <laughs> Am I right in thinking, is it Phoebe Waller-Bridge is attached to the new one? Mm-hmm. So that's that in its favour. She writes really, really good female characters. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, they, they've clearly, which, you know, it, it's good that the franchise is evolving and, and you get those people that want it to be stuck in its ways forever they want it to be the the sean connery bond for the next hundred years but um i i think the bond franchise does do a, a reasonably good job of staying with the times um and i think it's it's easy to criticize it for, for the misogyny because it used to be <laughs> that way heavily so but it's it's definitely um Again, I, I don't think it's as bad as some people they, say they it is. Can't, they can't get away with it these days. You know, there's there's a reason Disney don't remake Sounds of the South because the Sounds of the South <laughs> bury everything. I mean, they, forget about, they're not remaking. They're not showing the original. You know, <laughs> let alone remaking it. You cannot see way. it. Yeah, it is. It's deep in the Disney vault. Um, but yeah, the 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 Bond girls again, very much a big big part of the franchise. You know, I said the, the the criticism there is that they don't always get the the most interesting roles. Um, as the series has has progressed, you got people like Electra King in The World Is Not Enough, who was you thought Robert Carlyle was going to be your main villain, but it was very much Electra King that was the um, the, the main protagonist in that film and that was the first time you had a, a, a female-led villain um and then as again daniel craig's bond has some more three-dimensional female characters um but beyond that you get what i think is my favorite part of the franchise the gadgets um because i, I remember watching casino royale thinking where are all the gadgets why is it so realistic where's the laser pen they um, they really tried to, I don't know, start again with, with Daniel Craig and make it that sort of grounded. This was in the era of like Christopher Nolan's Batman. Let's make it grounded and realistic. But I love the stupid gadgets. And it's the reason that I am a big fan of watches because Bond has the coolest <laughs> watches. So growing up, I insisted having a, a nice silver linked watch like he had in GoldenEye. Um, and I've, I've, I've made a note of a few of the gadgets here. Some of them are great. Some of them are just outright stupid. Um, you've got the watches, obviously. Bagpipe flamethrower. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> the remote control BMW. Um, then you get things like exploding pens. Um, something as simple as Rosa Klebb's dagger shoe is such an iconic Bond image of that knife coming out of a shoe um you get the utterly ridiculous like the invisible car from die another day um the jetpack from thunderball x-ray glasses um there's so much from the just things that are genuinely cool and then just things that are from a sci-fi film and then you get the the 
like the villain's layers are almost ba- gadgets in themselves, like Blofeld in the volcano, Hugo Drax on the spaceship. They're so stupid, but they're so Bond as well. Yeah, my favourite ones are the ones that are so almost like throwaway. Like, I can't remember what film it is, but there's a crocodile going up to the bank of the yeah. river. And then yeah. it opens up and James Bond just steps out. Yes, yeah. There's, <laughs> there's so much that, um, yeah, like you said, it, it's these very almost, they don't serve any major narrative role, but it's just, it's there. Um, Is that just James Bond commuting to work? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then you get, you get things like those classic scenes scenes when Bond is visiting Q. Um, trivia question: Do you guys know what Q stands for? Master. Correct, correct, sir. Um, and it, it, those those amazing scenes when you see them testing out the gadgets, and you get things like the the umbrella that has a sword on the end of it. It's just amazing. <laughs> um, I think there's he, like a... he's my favourite part of the films. I think the original. Well, I, I like. Um... Gone blank with the same. Uh, oh. I do like Ben Walsh, and I like uh, Forty Towers. John Cleese. John Cleese's version as well, but the original cue. Desmond Llewellyn um, was an intrinsic part of those films, and I was devastated when he died. Genuinely heartbreaking. One week after The World Is Not Enough was released, mm. he died in a car crash. Um, which, yeah, it, it very, very sad. Uh, but was he, it because the car was invisible? <laughs> <laughs> what happened is he tried to go down an alleyway and the car didn't. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he he thought it was an amphibious car, and and it wasn't. It, it was not. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he thought it was Roger Moore's Lotus, and it just oh, guys, is it too soon? It was nineteen ninety nine. It's all right. No, it's definitely not. That is one of the you know most famous bits of um, movie editing mistakes. When Bond goes down the alleyway sideways, he comes out the, the other way around, <laughs> <laughs> and obviously there's no way he could have flipped the car going down <laughs> the alleyway. Um, but yeah, Q is 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 a great part of those films, and obviously um, Desmond Llewellyn was in them for thirty years, I think. Um, Aspiration, just like Bond. Mm. Jesus, man, just bring me back something. Just yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's um, it, it's those sort of uh, through through jokes that um, again that becomes part of the the the, the DNA of the film as well is is, is Q's. Uh, like you said, just constant infuriation at Bond, wrecking everything he gives him. Um, moving on to the the last part of what every James Bond film needs, and again, can can make or break a Bond film is the Bond villains. Um, some of them have become very much classic uh, pop culture icons. You know, you get people like Goldfinger. Uh, Rosa Klebb, Blofeld obviously become one of the most parodied um, movie villains of all time. Ah, <laughs> oh, I just had a weird flashback memory. Oh, that was weird. You know when you some but randomly remember something from your childhood? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was doing a really bad 
uh, amateur production like kids play with a youth theatre. Uh, and it was like a spy bond spoofing. And I was a Blofeld character. And my introduction was the whole the classic spinning around in a chair, stroking a, <laughs> a fake cat. Nice. But nice. I spun around and my eye patch immediately pinged across the stage. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear! I still think that's the funniest thing I've ever done. Did it? Did it hit a kid who now needs a constant eye patch? <laughs> yeah, I owe him money still. It's... <laughs> well, that was a nice who's... diversion to Tom's history. <laughs> who's the Who's the guy who throws the bowler hat? What's uh, he called? Oh, odd job. O- odd job. Odd so job. yeah, he is. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I, I was going to come on to the uh, the henchman. Uh, odd job being again one of your classic classic henchmen. Um, you get people like Scaramanga, played by the brilliant Christopher Lee, and then you get some of our show favourites. You got Max Zorin, played by Christopher Walken, and Alec Trevelyan, played by Sean Bean, of course. Um, some friends of the show there. <laughs> Long time listeners. <laughs> um, and then yeah, you've got your henchman, odd job, um, Mr. Big. Sounds like a bloody porn act to him, doesn't he? Um yeah, Stinger. Mr. Big. Do we not? <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> Carry on. Um yeah, Jaws played by Richard Keel, who who again gets his his redemption in Moonraker. And then my fav- uh, my personal favourite um would be expert French counting man. Hervé Villachez from The Man with the Golden Gun, who, who has that exquisite scene when Scaramanga and Bond are dueling and he counts them down in the most aggressively French accent you'll ever hear. One, two, three. <laughs> you get the idea. It, it goes on like that for about 20 seconds. Is he, is he the guy who's like, the plane, the plane? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> he is one of my favourite parts of any Bond film. Uh, and just the actors in general. I mean, I mean, the Bond actors, of course, you've got Sean Connery, who, who sort of set the tone for the entire franchise. Roger Moore brings a bit more levity to it. Um, Dalton and Lazenby are relatively forgettable, but have, have moments. Uh, Brosnan helped revitalise the franchise after quite a big hiatus. And it, he just brought a sort of unrivaled charisma at a time when the franchise was sort of being forgotten about. And then Craig, Daniel Craig, very much is is a modern Bond. Um, you know, I said, bringing on people like Phoebe Waller-Bridge, but, but Daniel Craig is that sort of more, more flawed, a bit more down-to-earth, grittier Bond that sort of fits in with the way movies are these days. Um, and then other actors, like I said, Christopher Lee, you've got people like Judy Dench, Ray Fiennes, Jeffrey Wright, John Cleese, Javier Bardem, so many people. Madonna is in the Bond films for reasons unknown. Um, but it, it's, for me... Um, the reason I, I pick Bond is just, I think it's a franchise uh, about legacy. Um, James Bond himself is is a character that has, uh, you know, evolved over the years. Like I mentioned, he, he was orig- originally, and even now, he's very much a, a portrayed as, as, as a relic of a, of a bygone era. Um, or when or when you watch the Connery films, you, you can get a sense of just different societal values at the time. Um, like I said, some of the earlier films are a bit problematic in that respect. But as the franchise moves on, 
I think the character in, and, and some of the films become a bit more self-aware and they very much become about the errors that, that the setting, you know, some of the earlier films are very, very heavily influenced by post-war Britain, the cold war Brosnan's films, which are my first introduction. They're all about um, embracing the future, digital ver- versus mm-hmm. analog, you know, golden eyes all about that uh, and how, the the world is leaving James Bond behind and in many respects leaving the modern man behind as well um you know you think of Judy Dench's speech from Goldeneye and she just tears him down completely calls him a misogynist dinosaur it's such a very meta speech for someone in a Bond film to give and then you get to Daniel Craig's films which have they're very much about the the internet age, digitization, and just sort of just the paranoia of of the world we live in now. Um, but I think more than that, for me, the reason that Bond means a lot to me is because it's it's about a legacy for almost families as well. It's passed down from fathers to their sons and mothers to you know it's. It, it, it lives through generations because I got into Bond through my dad and I think a lot of people would have been introduced to Bond via their parents. I think that's a story for a lot of people, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's why for me it just, it, it means a lot and I think that's why it's it's such an important franchise is because it becomes a, a film about legacy that gives legacy to, to others as well. Um, and that's my pick for movie franchises, guys. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Who, who is your favourite? Brosnan. Because he was my okay. first. You never forget your first. And just, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd be remiss if I just didn't touch on the GoldenEye video game because that has become, you know, when people say what are the best video games of all time, GoldenEye makes the list almost. It's, it's almost mythological at this point. Yeah. It's crazy how much people love that game. And if you go back to it, it's not good. No, it, it's um, <laughs> but for the time, it 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 was. I don't know. It sort of created a new uh, first-person shooter game. It, they, they'd never been that intelligent before. They'd never had the sort of um, gameplay dynamics where it was genuinely like you were going up against real people. It. I don't know. I I, I think it. Yeah, looking back, games have evolved so, so much. But I think it, for the time, and when, again, I think it was one of the first games you truly played as with your friends. The multiplayer aspect of that game, for me, is what made it so iconic. I remember the split screen, and you found those little glitches where you could hide inside the walls, and no one knew you were there. That's why I thought of Oddjob, because he was such a cheap character. Yeah. Because he'd fight, and it'd just go straight over his head. Yeah, you couldn't fucking hit him, because he was too short. Um, Uh, Yeah, super. Well, that's my pick. Every time I think of Oddjob, I think think it is in Austin Powers, where it's like a version of Oddjob just just throws a shoe. But again, I think all of our picks, though, um, you can see how how well revered they are by how much they are um, parodied and referenced in pop culture. I mean, you kept mentioning Family Guy, Tom. That's because these these films are so good and there's so much you can reference from them and you just get endless, endless material. Um, do you have any 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 closing thoughts on, on these franchises before we before we finish? Do we have a winner? Um, MCU? 
<laughs> I don't know. It's it, it's hard to pick. I mean, I don't know. Winnie the Pooh. There we go. <laughs> I mean, if I'm being really objective, probably Star Wars. Um, just because of the the intense fandom that it's. I don't think there's a fan base as. Um, vocal as Star Wars fans, for better or for worse, I think they are the most ardent fans. I mean, maybe Star Trek as well in that respect. Um, I don't know. It, it's hard to pick. Well, it's a weird one. Like all our choices take inspiration from other places, so it's just one of those things where mm. it's passing on inspiration to new things and stuff. Like Star Wars, a bit like it's a bit fortress or hidden fortress, even. Yeah. Uh, James Bond is the Cold War. Uh, yeah. Not Cold War, but literally, I think James Bond is what Ian Fleming wanted his war experience to be. I like that. A bit more fucking. Deep. That is deep. <laughs> <laughs> a bit more that sounds like a good, a good way to end this episode. Then. <laughs> a bit more fucking. All right. Well, guys, I've thoroughly enjoyed this 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 debate. As as expected, we didn't settle on an answer, but hopefully, we've we've given people some some food for thought. It's Winnie the Pooh. This. Oh, sorry. Yes, yes, it is Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh is the the best movie franchise of all time. Longest running. <laughs> I think it's Alien versus Predator. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the third one. Oh dear. Right. Well. Settled. We'll go with Alien versus Predator then. That's about the level this podcast is at anyway, so that's fine. Uh, well, well, thank you for listening, everybody. Um, next time we are getting back to our regular scheduled programming and discussing Batman 1989. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, boy. The perm cut. Baby. <laughs> alright guys well well, thank you for joining me again who knows when we can do this in person I feel like this lockdown's gone on long enough now but my neighbours yeah. aren't, aren't sticking to it anymore they're all out having a barbecue so they're just like fuck it I feel like we could probably meet up in a park and do this six feet apart <laughs> I don't think the audio quality would suffer that much <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's true all right, well, well, we'll all meet in a seedy park one night and do the next episode. How about that? I mean, I'm usually there every other Sunday, so you can you can see I me mean, in a seedy park. Are, are you guys allowed within 10 feet of a park? No. <laughs> Just to be clear on that. <laughs> oh, dear. Let's, um, let's call it a day, shall we? Thank you for listening and stuff. Thanks, everyone. Like and subscribe and and share and other things. All of the above. Cheers. Hey everyone, it's Future Lewis here. Bit of a change of plan for today's episode. Um, originally, we just discussed the original Back to the Future movie. Then we went down a bit of a rabbit hole and watched episodes parts two and three. 
Um, so today we are discussing the entire Back to the Future trilogy. So all the geek news has been put at the end of this episode. Um, so if you want to stick around for that, that is at the end. But we thought since we have three movies to get through, we would just dive straight into it. And also please check out the amazing artwork that at Batman the Animated Fan has crafted for us for this week's show. It is spectacular. Uh, you can find him over on Instagram at Batman the Animated Fan and you can see the poster on our Instagram, on our Facebook, uh, which is Podcasts on Infinite Earths. All right, enjoy the show, everyone. <laughs> 